This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Acting Out of Fear, and it comes from 1 Samuel 13, 1 through 15. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift. So won't you do that today? And you can do that by calling us with your gift at 601-483-8648. There they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Also, you can go over to iTunes in the podcast section and find us there by searching for WMER Radio Bible Class with no space between Radio Bible Class. Maybe you use Spotify or Audible or Pandora or TuneIn or iHeartRadio to listen to your podcast. Well, we're there also. So just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no space between Radio Bible Class. Well, today we pick back up in the book of 1 Samuel and we're going to start in chapter 13. If you remember last week, though, we saw how... A great servant gave his final speech. We talked about the different great speeches that were out there, but Samuel told the people about the integrity, and we talked about how we can be a great servant for Jesus if we will have that same integrity, if we're accountable, that we right any wrong, and we have a clean conscience. Also, to be a great servant just like Samuel, we need to model our faithfulness after God's faithfulness. We need to point to God and his faithfulness and tell about his faithfulness and what he's done in our life. And last, then, if we want to be a great servant, then we have to have a love for the people that are in our circle, the people that are around us. You know, we never stop praying for one another. We remind each other about God's grace. And last, that we are that prayer warrior and a teacher. This farewell speech came together because Saul had become a king in the eyes of the people. He had helped save them, and now he's the king, and he's the one they're looking up to. And so the focus changes from Samuel back to Saul today. Up to this point, we've seen Saul's rise. We've seen him rise to leadership, and he seemed to have done everything right. But today he kind of hits the peak and he starts that slippery slope or that sliding down the top that he's been at. We're going to see a characteristic that is a flaw in Saul today. And it is the begin of what starts to unravel with him being king. Some would say the story of Saul is really a frustrating one. You know, Saul did well at first. He was humble. He was responsible. He relied on God's spirit and he was a good leader. But then sadly, everything that happened that we'll see over the next chapters becomes completely unnecessary. 
the old saying, what goes up must come down. Well, that's not necessarily true, but we will see what has gone up will come down. God gave Saul everything he needed to be a success. But Saul is brought down because he uses his own mind and he makes his own decision. And it all starts out when Saul gives in to fear. I heard a pastor say once that fear and faith are total opposites. If you were to draw a line, they're on each end of that line. As we give in to fear, we give away our faith. But as we overcome fear, we give more to faith. You know, giving in to fear hurts us in so many ways as a Christian. When we're afraid to step out in faith, we can cripple the plans that God has for us. When we're afraid of what others might think, we can hold back on sharing the gospel, the gospel that they may need. When we're afraid of the circumstances around us, we can be tempted to do the wrong thing and go against God's word. And that last one right there is what got Saul in trouble. That's what is the problem that he has today in this chapter. There was a temptation and he gave into it because he was facing fear. And that's what I want to talk about today is how do we walk in faith instead of walking in fear? Hopefully today you'll realize how that you can walk strong in the Lord. When you come to that trial, when you face that trial and you see that there's no way out, you can still be encouraged through the Lord because you can choose faith over fear in your own life. So let's jump in. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. I'll read the first couple of verses. Like I always tell you, I'll be reading out of the ESV. And so here's verse 1. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash in the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. And we're going to stop right there for now. I want to read you verse 1 out of the King James Version because I think you'll see that right here in the ESV, this is not the best translation that you could have for this verse. Here's verse 1. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, and whereof 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash, and in the Mount of Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. Really what verse 1 is saying is that Saul's been king for a year. Everything that happened in chapter 11 and 12 happened in that first year. And now that he's been king for two years, we're about to see what happens. For you Bible scholars out there, what you'll find is that Saul became king when he was 30 years old and he reigned for 42 years. But what we see is that he is now preparing for battle. He's wise after going through this one battle where he had over 300,000 men. And so he is preparing. He is ready to fight the enemy. And if you're looking at my outline with me, you'll see that I wrote, you will experience testing. Saul is about to experience the test. He's going to fight the Philistines. And so he needs to be prepared, and that's what we see. He's pulling together this core army that he has. Well, who are these men that he sent home? Well, remember, he had all those 300,000 men that he had formed initially to fight that battle. And then he picks his core army, and he sends the rest of them home. That's what the Bible tells us. Saul divided the troops between himself and Jonathan. That's the other thing it tells us. Jonathan is a son. We'll see that later. 
Now, this is the first time we've really seen Jonathan's name in the scripture. But remember, Saul was a good leader at this point. He was realistic. And he knew there would be more battles that would come and that he would face. And so he prepares for them. As a Christian, the Bible tells us that we need to be ready. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you take your stand against the devil's schemes. I can assure you, just like we're told right here, we better put on the full armor. We better be ready for battle because when we become a Christian, we are not on some cruise ship. We're on a battleship, and we are going to face a battle. We're going to face testing in our life, and we need to be prepared for that battle that we're going to face. And so Saul pulls together this army, and he splits them between him and Jonathan. Now look what happens. When we fight the enemy, they fight back. Now look at verse 3 with me. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it and said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines, and the people were called out to join Saul out Gilgal. Well, the first thing I want you to see is that Jonathan attacked the Philistines first. Now, you might expect it to be Saul because we're studying about Saul, but it wasn't. It was Jonathan. So maybe this gives us the first clue that not everything is right with Saul as king. We're told that Jonathan attacked the Philistines at Geba. Geba originally belonged to the Israelites. So this was an attack aimed at recovering the land that the Philistine had taken away from them. So in verse 3, we see that Jonathan attacks, but notice that Saul gets the credit for. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become the stench of the Philistines. I love that phrase, Israel has become the stench of the Philistines. As long as the Israelites were passive and not fighting, the Philistines could care less about them. But as soon as the Israelites attacked, as soon as the Israelites start to fight back, to push back against them, they become the stench of the enemy. This raises the question, is this true of you? Are you the stench to the enemy? Are you living for Christ so boldly and so fully in your walk that you are the stench to Satan and the world? As long as you're passive and not growing in your Christian life, the enemy could care less about you. Satan will say, okay, that's fine. You go ahead and be a Christian if you want, but don't read your Bible. Don't pray. Don't tell others about God. But guess what? As you start to go on the offensive, as you start growing and having an influence with God and your ministry and how he's using you, you will become a stench to the enemy. Now, you may never have thought about it this way, but one of your goals as a Christian should be a stench to the enemy. You should have Satan worried about you, that all of a sudden now he needs to form attack against you. If he's not worried to attack you, that means you're not doing anything for God. You should smell so bad to Satan that he can't stand it and he has to do something about it. So once you understand, you are going to experience a test. You're going to fight battles. That's part of it. Remember John 16, what it says? I have said these things to you that in me you have peace. In this world, you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is that, hey, I've told you about this, and you should find peace in this. 
Because you're going to face troubles. You're going to face distress. You're going to face affliction. But be of good comfort. Because I've overcome the world. And through me, you can overcome the world. So wake up. You are going to experience troubles and testing and trials. So what do we need to do? We need to be like Saul and be prepared. Where he prepared his army. And then we need to understand that the enemy's going to fight back once we start fighting against them. But we should be fighting against them. That's what God told us in his word. But now look how the enemy started to fight back. Look at verse 5 with me. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand of the seahorse and the multitude. They came up and camped in Mechmash and to the east of Beth Haven. This doesn't seem like a fair fight. Based on previous verses, we know that Saul only has 3,000 men in his army that he has here. The Philistines had 3,000 chariots, plus 6,000 men to drive them, plus soldiers that are numerous as the sand on the shore. Saul is outnumbered and he's outgunned. And so we can see how easy it was for him to give in to the fear that's going to be his downfall. And that's what I want you to see is don't give in to your fear. When you start battling the enemy, they're going to battle back. We already agreed on that. And you know what? A lot of times it's going to be a situation. It's going to be a trial or a testing that seems way too big. I don't know what you're facing today. Maybe it's a financial crisis that you just don't know where the money's going to come from. Maybe it's a health crisis that doesn't look good at all. Maybe it's a marriage crisis. It looks like you're about to go through divorce. I don't know what you're facing today, but I assure you when the devil attacks and he comes at you, it is going to be scary. We're not going to always know which way to go forward. We're not going to know how to solve this problem. How do we cope with this? How do we get up and face another day with this problem staring at us? You know, the Apostle Paul felt the same way at times. He wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. When your problem seems overwhelming, you'll be tempted to give in to fear. And that's what Saul was facing right here. Right here in this verse, he's facing something that seems overwhelming. How's he going to overcome being outgunned and outmanned? But we have to put our faith in who? We put it in God. But not only is he facing a problem that seems too big, everyone around him all of a sudden starts responding in fear. Look how his people respond. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns, and some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of the Gad and Gilgad. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. When a trouble comes your way or when trouble comes, I can assure you people around you are going to respond in fear. Look at what the 12 disciples did when Jesus went to the cross. That night, as they partake of the Last Supper, Jesus told them that they would all deny him. And Peter said, everyone else may deny you, but not me, Lord, not me. And he looked Peter dead in the eye and he said, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. People will deny you when you're going through a time of trouble. People will run in fear. And that's what we see happens right here. 
everyone around him is running. Instead of standing strong together against an enemy, his men are hiding in the rocks and in thickets. Some of them are climbing down in the bottom of a well to hide. And if that wasn't bad enough, some of them just go AWOL. They cross the Jordan to escape going to battle against these guys. You know what Proverbs 28.1 says? The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. You know, it's hard enough to fight a battle that seems too big, but it's even harder when everyone around your support system is fleeing. They're responding in fear. It's very tempting to join them. As the old saying goes, the wheels and the bus are starting to come off, but that's not even the end of it. Look what happens in verse 8. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me, and the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering, and as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against us at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, and which he commanded you to do. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over the people, because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal, and the rest of the people went after Saul to meet the army. And they went up from Gilgal to Gibeath of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him about 600 men. Saul was told to wait seven days. He couldn't wait. You know what? God may be having you wait for your answer for whatever test or trial you're going through. God sometimes makes us wait so we can see the areas that he wants to refine before he gives us what we need. God's timing is always on time. We are to wait. We're not to rush God one bit. I struggle with this too. And God only tells me what he needs me to know because the times that he's given me more information than I should have had, you know what I did? I got ahead of God. I started doing it in my own strength. I started doing it my own way instead of waiting on God. Today, don't be like Saul was. Wait on Samuel to come. Wait on God to come. He has the answer for you. Whatever you're going through, God has that answer. But what we saw is that's not what happened here, right? Saul did not wait on Samuel. He responded out of fear. He became disobedient out of fear. He went ahead and did it his own way. You know, we live in a society today. We want everything now. I want it all and I want it now. We have a society that will not wait to have sex after marriage. We live in a society that will not wait on what God wants to give us, but we chase after the almighty dollar. We chase after those things so we can keep up with the Joneses. But the Bible is telling you, wait and don't respond out of fear. Hopefully you learn today that don't give in to fear. I don't care how big your situation may seem. Don't be like others that will respond out of fear. All those around you may run in fear. 
But God is always on time and he will take care of you. And if you get ahead of him, you're just being disobedient. You're responding out of fear instead of waiting on God. And then look at what Saul does. He tries to justify his disobedience. In verse 11, Samuel asked Saul, what have you done? And what does Saul do? He says, well, when I saw that the men were scattering, I didn't have any choice. I had to go ahead and do it because you weren't around. Samuel cuts directly to the bone, to the heart of the issue. He doesn't give him some greeting. He doesn't have any small talk. There's no discussion about this battle and a strategy. He simply says, what have you done? Saul has disobeyed a direct commandment from God because Samuel had told him to wait the full seven days, and he didn't. And now Samuel has to correct him. He has to take care of this wrong action. But you notice his answer. The correct answer would have been, I've sinned. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. He has an opportunity to confess his sin and repent right here when he gets asked the question, what have you done? But instead of confessing, Saul does what? He chooses to blame everyone else. He blames the Philistines for getting ready to attack. He blames his own men for scattering. He even blames Samuel for not getting there earlier. What's Saul doing? He's doing what we do. He's justifying his wrong action. He puts his justification over the word of God. So let me just make this crystal clear so you know what the word of God says. We are never given a reason to disobey God's word. God never wants you to do anything that goes against his word. Now notice I didn't say you won't be tempted to do something that is against God's word, but you will never have to do the wrong thing. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So I don't care what the world says and the excuses that they give. You will never be forced to do the wrong thing. Now, you may choose to sin, but you will never be forced to sin. God will make a way of escape. And what do we see here? We see that Saul is justifying his sin. And don't be like Saul. When you've done something wrong, don't add to your sin by trying to justify it. Just repent and confess it. Take responsibility for your action. Don't try to justify it. Repent and ask for forgiveness. So what does Samuel do when he does this? Samuel tells him, you've acted foolishly. And as a result of Saul's disobedience, Saul's no longer going to have a dynasty of a kingdom. God has chosen someone else, a man after God's own heart. The difference between that person and Saul is that Saul was just a king like all other nations. You know the sad thing is, Saul's problem not that the Philistines were assembling for war. God would have taken care of that. His real problem is his disobedient to God's commandment. He didn't listen to the word of God that was given through Samuel. Saul has a heart problem. He's placed himself and his authority above God's word, making the decision the way he thinks it needs to be done instead of waiting on God's word and his authority. And so Samuel tells him, you would have had a dynasty, but you won't anymore. And that's really a shame because we're going to see as we go through this book that Jonathan, his son, would have made a great king. Well, you might be going, well, Tim, isn't that a little strong for God to treat Saul this way? I mean, it's just a little sin that he did the offering. 
Well, first of all, it's really not just the offering, but it's that he had a heart problem, like I said. He had a problem in that he is no longer allowing God to be the authority. He's being the authority. It's the same thing the world does today. The world says, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I want to be my own God, and I only want God when he can bring a blessing to me. Saul is saying, God, I'm going to do this, and I want you to bless me so I can go fight these guys. The real thing you need to learn out of this, though, is that if you have a heart problem, the Bible tells us when we give our life to Jesus, when we make him Lord of our life, he gives us a new heart. And that heart at that point will convict us of our sin and we will confess our sin and we'll repent of our sin. You may go, Tim, well, look, I'm saved, but I wanted to ask you this question. If you can sin and you can openly sin, defiantly sin and not be convicted of it, then maybe you need to check yourself. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourself to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Examine yourself. Do you meet the test? Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is living inside of you? The Holy Spirit came to live within you, and yet you can openly live in sin? The two don't go hand in hand. I'm rapidly running out of time, so let me start wrapping this thing up. You know, Saul started out this chapter so strong. He prepared himself for battle. He had a standing army of 3,000 men. He waited almost the whole seven days for Samuel. But then he acted foolishly out of fear. And the consequences were devastating to him. The loss of Samuel was a crushing blow. Not only that, when he counted the men remaining, he was down to 600 men. Basically, he had to start all over again. When you make the wrong choices in life, you may find that you need to start all over again. And that's okay. Now, it's hard to start over, but you can give God the glory because he gave you grace to start over. You know, our God is a God of second chances and third chances and many more chances. God is never through with you. You are never too far gone. And just like Saul had to start over with just 600 men, you may have to start your life over again. Today, you may have showed up facing some difficult time in your life. Perhaps you're going through the most severe trial you've ever gone through right now. You're going to feel afraid. I can assure you that. That is natural. You're going to be tempted to give in to that fear, but don't do it. It's foolish. Don't let go of God and his word in your life. Don't let go of God in your time of need. Stand strong. Trust in God's timing and follow God's word. Choose faith over fear. Will you do that? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for this part of this section of, of your word. Lord, that we can take your word and we can apply it to our life. Lord, we can learn from the mistakes of those that came before us. Lord, I know there are those that showed up today that are going through hard times. They may be wondering, why is the Lord taking so long to relieve me from what I'm going through? Those around them may be telling them, you're just going to have to take things into your own hands. But as believers, Lord, we know that we're not to operate the way the world does. We are to follow the course. We're to trust in you. Instead of getting our guidance from man and the hope in the world, we're, our hope is to come from you, and it's from your word. 
Lord, I pray for those that are in fear over this huge trial that's in their life. Lord, I pray for patience right now. Lord, that you will help them have faith in you. Lord, you will grow their faith through this trial. And Lord, you'll help them stay faithful to you. That they won't hurry along, but they will wait on your perfect timing. Lord, maybe there's one today that has sin in their life. They have open sin in their life. And for whatever reason, they have not asked you for forgiveness. They've defied the open word of God. Lord, I pray today that they would be convicted of that. Lord, let your Holy Spirit knock on their heart. Let them see what you want to do, how you want to restore them. Lord, maybe they have to start over because of something they went through. Lord, I pray right now that they will give it to you, Lord, that they will turn to you and they will ask for forgiveness of that sin in their life. Maybe there's one that's never asked you to be Lord of their life. Lord, today I pray would be the day. Lord, they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, they would confess with their mouth. They would believe on your finished work and overcoming death in their heart. Lord, I pray today would be that day. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings you give this ministry. Lord, you are always faithful and true to this ministry. Lord, we love you. We praise you and give you all the honor and glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.